Welcome back, season two of State of Play. I'm really excited to kind of get going uh, this this spring, put out a few episodes, talk about some things. There's been a lot happening since uh, I was on my first season of State of Play, talked to some great guests. I mean, just almost every message that was brought up um, resonated with me. I, I think was really important to this day, but there's been a lot that's happened uh, in sports since then. So season two, going to put out a couple episodes here and talk about um, just kind of what I'm seeing, what's going on, and maybe even add in some things that I see coming up in the future and look towards a fall season. I'm also going to add in a questions and solutions portion this year. Um, I think it's really um, valuable when you have thoughts or questions or belief this day and age that there's some solutions put out there. I mean, so many people have a voice. So many people can go out and do podcasts. But at the end of the day, I don't feel like anybody's given any solutions. So I'm going to talk um, at the end of each of these segments. I'm going to talk a little bit about some questions that I've been asked, some solutions to those problems. Whether or not anybody chooses to take and run with it, that's certainly up to uh, up to you. This episode, I'm going to dive right in here very quickly. I'm going to talk about the GLIAC and really my ire for their failures as a conference. I'm really discouraged by what's going on uh, in the league that I played in and just what I see. I'm going to talk about that on this first segment. An interview with a friend of mine, Stu Swigert. Stu was a professional football player, played at Purdue, career interceptions record holder. Um, I got to know him over the course of probably the last 15 years. We've become friends and got to know his family. He's got some um, good insights and thoughts that I think he'll be able to share with anybody that listens to this podcast. And I'm going to finish up and touch on some of the new NIL legislation coming up in college uh, sports and really what that means, not just for athletes, but really what it means uh, for society. But I want to dive right into what's going on in the GLIAC. Uh, the Great Lakes Intercollegiate Athletic Conference, in a nutshell, is a mess, a complete debacle, a disaster. And I'm going to make very clear that I am very discouraged by what's going on. If you follow this league, if you follow small college uh, sports at all, the GLIAC has traditionally been one of the premier sports, real, uh, premier conferences really in, in almost all of the sports. You have a chance to have a representative uh, who wins the conference, who's right there at the conference battle to compete for a national title in, in whatever sport they have. But now we have the announcement of yet another GLIAC school leaving uh, the league, going to the GMAC. Northwood University right in Midland is leaving, heading to a new conference. I cannot explain how discouraged I am by the leadership of the GLIAC. Chris Dunbar and her staff have done an absolutely horrible job. Del Robinson before that. This whole thing started years ago, really started initially with Indianapolis leaving and going to the uh, GLVC. And then you have a slew of these schools that were added to the GLIAC and, and, and did an about face and left to go to the GMAC. And now you have one of the main cogs, Northwood University, leaving, bypassing all of these other schools that are traditional rivals, schools that they would have easy distance traveling to, to go to another league. And I can't explain how poor of a job I believe the commissioner and that staff has done. And I'm going to say this. I'm going I'm to give a quick example of what I'm talking about. When I was a graduate assistant one time, I did a terrible job on an assignment I was given. And in a staff meeting, the coach said, and he said it extremely loudly, he said, what are we doing? That was how bad of a job I did on this one little assignment. My question, it's rhetorical, because I'm sure there's no answer back to this, to Chris Dunbar and that entire staff that makes up what I don't know how long the GLIAC will be around, but whatever staff makes up how long this league is around, what are we doing? How can one of the greatest leagues at small college level be allowed to have schools just vacate and take off? What are we doing? How are you not promoting the league to get people to be begging to come in? I had to actually go through and look at the league. A sport like baseball, once Northwood leaves, is going to be left with six plain schools. Now, I'm not, I'm not, I wasn't a math major at Saginaw Valley when I played and went to school, but that means you only have five games in conference. I know baseball is a little bit different, okay? But what are you going to play each other, four or five times? A ser ser four or five series? I mean, you think about football, it's already starting to play multiple teams within a conference. What a joke. We have done the worst job that could possibly have been done running this conference. Instead of people leaving, you should have people begging to get in, but you've done nothing. You've done absolutely nothing to promote this league, and I'm very discouraged and very frustrated by it. Don't know how many people will listen to this, but if you can hear in the tone of my voice, my disdain for what Chris Dunbar in the league has done to that conference and to the alums, to the people that have played there through the years, it's an embarrassment. 
It's an absolute embarrassment. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask some questions. Okay, and I'm also going to give an open invite to Chris Dunbar to come on to an, a future podcast and talk about what's going on, how the league is going to sustain, because I would love to have some answers, some thoughts, some process about how this is going to move forward, because I have a great affinity for the GLIAC and the, and the schools that play in that league. But let's, let's sit back and think about what the GLIAC has done. I have a hard time coming up with answers for that. I have a hard time coming up with answers of why someone would stay in the GLIAC. I'm not happy with, at Northwood. I'm not happy at Hillsdale, who all left. The Ohio schools are maybe a touch different, but I'm not happy that Ashland has decided to leave. But I understand it. Because why? Why would you stay in this league? You do nothing to promote the league other than just put up your GLIAC poster on social media. What are you doing extra? to prove to people that this is where you should not only stay, but you should be. You want to get people drawing in. How many times have you done a live from at Lubber Stadium when they've got 15,000 people showing up to an opener against whoever they're playing? Maybe they're playing Ashland or they're playing Ferris in a huge rivalry game. Where is the GLIAC? I am not an economics major either. It's not that hard to set up a Facebook Live from right outside Lubber Stadium and talk about the atmosphere that almost nobody in college football sees outside of Ann Arbor and East Lansing, especially not if you have to drive 10 hours. There's nobody within a 10-hour radius that has the environment of a Grand Valley Ferris football game on a Saturday evening. And, and I haven't seen one. I try to follow the league pretty closely. Where, How hard is that to do? It's difficult to set up a Facebook Live out in front of top tagger field when number one and number two in the country are playing against each other? You have the Ashland women's basketball team that went on an incredible run. I think they went two years almost undefeated, actually lost, and I believe in that national championship. It was either two or three years straight where they hadn't lost. Where, where is the coverage? Where is the interviews? Where is the marketing of, hey, listen, we may not have these people forever, but this is what you get to be a part of by playing in the GLIAC. You get to be the best of the best. I never heard that. I never saw that. Oh, wow, we have a good league. That's what all the schools are saying to each other. But how does anybody know that? This is the worst job of promotion I've ever seen. You had a head coach in the Big Ten in football win Big Ten Coach of the Year. Never saw any kind of recognition by the GLIAC. That coach started his uh, first head coaching job was at Saginaw Valley. And I just don't understand what we're doing. I struggle with that. Like, I get confused when I don't understand what we're doing. You have the crown jewel in many cases. Grand Valley's women's soccer team is one of the most dominant. The track and field athletes at Wayne State in, in Grand Valley, some of the most dominant in the country. Where is the next level thinking? Where is the next level promotion and marketing? There's none of it. And I'm, I, listen, this is my opinion. Anybody that listen, and you can form your own opinion. That staff in the GLIAC is a complete embarrassment. Now, I'm also going to point out another uh, issue here. I think I've made it pretty clear. I think the GLIAC has done just a, a terrible job. I'm not afraid to say it. If you want to challenge me uh, on my thoughts, please feel free to reach out, send some suggestions, put some comments in this uh, podcast. Reach out. I'd love to have you out on a guest for, for another uh, podcast. Anybody from the GLIAC, Chris Dunbar, anybody, love to hear your thoughts about how you are going to grow what was the most dominant conference in the country back to some notoriety that people will notice it. Where is the interview with Matt Judon, who just signed a massive NFL contract with the best franchise in, in sports, with Bill Belichick and the Patriots? Where is that? Where are the interviews with Susie Merchant, who's the head basketball coach, at some of these major programs, talking about what you learned with your one of your first stops? I just, I'm so discouraged. Where is the communication from the GLIAC leading the charge to a high school coach who stepped in and made Ferris the most dominant program in the last 10 years and played for a national title. Where is that promotion? Oh, Ferris is doing a great job. I give Ferris credit in what they've done to promote Coach Anise. I give Grand Valley credit in what they've done to promote all their programs. I give Wayne State a lot of credit to promote all the growth of their programs because their enhancement in their university has been some of the best I've ever seen. What Michigan Tech does up in Houghton, Michigan with their limited resources and, you know, regional challenges, what they do, the graduates that they put out with that degree, where is that? What are we doing? That, that's my statement of the day on this podcast. What are we doing, GLIAC? You have completely failed your conference. You've completely failed these students. I hope you have a plan. I don't have any faith that you have a plan. You haven't shown the ability to do that, but I hope you have a plan. My second issue in this whole thing, th these universities that are leaving though, you have no competitive bone in your body. Okay, and again, I'm a, I'm a Saginaw Valley grad. 
Northwood is a huge rival. We used to go back and forth when I was playing, when I was coaching. We had some really tough, we had some really good battles. I didn't win them all. They didn't win them all. It's called a good rivalry. Okay. But if you are leaving, and, and some of these reasons, and, and hey, we're leaving for a, a better fit with schools and maybe some more financial feasibility. Let me let me ask you this for you schools that are leaving Hillsdale, Northwood. You're going to bypass all these schools to go to Ohio Valley University, which is in, unless I can't read very well, it's in West Virginia. You're going to leave to go to, did I read this correctly? Kentucky Wesleyan? So that's the, you're going to get majority of your kids from our state, maybe even northern part of Ohio. And I'm, my son or daughter is going to go play in West Virginia. As a parent, I would be flabbergasted and embarrassed. And my first contact would be to talk to my son or daughter about whether I still want to be having them go to school there. What an embarrassment. Instead of getting a chance to get in a car and go see my son or daughter play in Detroit, get in a car and go see my son or daughter play in Big Rapids, I get to take a really fun trip down to West Virginia. You presidents who have made this decision to leave, I have zero respect for that decision. That's so uncompetitive. It's the opposite of everything that coaches and you are supposed to be telling people within your environment. So uncompetitive. It's my ire that I have for St. Thomas getting kicked out of their league because they're too good. You know what you should be doing is you should be promoting these other schools to get better. Hey, how about Chase? Oh, you know what? You don't feel like you've won enough league championships, Grand Valley, Ferris, uh, Ashland women's basketball are too dominant. Hey, get better. Here's what we can do to help you get better. How about things like that? How about we'll promote some of the schools so that people understand how good of a university Northern Michigan is or Michigan Tech is or Ashland instead of just putting up the who won the GLIAC Athlete of the Year Award logo, which takes about five seconds to create and you post it on your phone. Embarrassing that these presidents are not held to a higher standard, that you're so afraid to compete at Northwood, that you're so scared to compete that you're going to go to another league. You're going to drive all the way to West Virginia and Kentucky. That's, that's what kind of a program you run. The, the part of me says, good, I'm glad you left. So I hope Chris Dunbar, and you have a, a, an ability to bring in a program that actually has a spine and a backbone that wants to come in and compete. Because if I were Grand Valley and I were Ferris and I were Ash, Ashland's women, women's basketball, or well, this is not even the league anymore. Or if I were Davenport, I would be continue to step on these people's throats and I would figure something else out for myself because the league and these presidents are not going to do anything. It, it, completely embarrassing. And I think from the standpoint of the commissioner's office who runs the league, I think from the standpoint of these presidents that have left, big part of me says, you know, good riddance to the schools that left. And, and I wish there was some new leadership put in place. This is just an, an absolutely sickening, sickening situation for me as a, as a former GLIAC. I'm, I'm a GLIAC alum. Played my entire career in the GLIAC. We had some of the most premier programs in the country at our level at a lot of sports. I've watched Ferris State's men's basketball team win the national title. This isn't all just about football. Okay, I've watched some of these programs rise up and get really good. What are we doing as a league to bring in the, the, the right amount of teams? And these, these schools that are leaving, you have zero competitiveness in your body. And a big part of me says, say la vie, as a, friend, as a friend of mine would have said, and don't come back. That would be my first direction for the commissioner or whoever continues this leadership. Don't come back. Don't ever let them come back. I know conferences and leagues change, but the reality is I never let them back in. My opinion is you're gone forever. You left and abandoned because you were scared to compete. Don't ever come back. When this league gets back to where it should be, and I would do it by highlighting the best. I would be sitting over at Allendale every day. I'd be sitting up at uh, Top Taggart for basketball and football games every single day promoting those top two. And I would use them to drive everybody else up and get in some quality uh, programs and universities that want to be a part of competitiveness. Not afraid. Completely embarrassing. Now, with that being said, I do want to make a hard segue over to our Q&S series, my new questions and solutions uh, segment. I, I, I threw out on social media, if you have any questions, reach out to me at info at getaaron.com. Look through some of the questions if they're fit with what I like to talk about or what, what I have knowledge on. I'd love to you know, get a chance to, to answer some of these questions and give you some thoughts. John from Kansas City said, a Dakota school seemingly winds up playing for or winning a national title in college football every year at the FCS level. Why is that? Great question, John, and I appreciate you sending that uh, email. If you watched this past uh, a couple weeks ago, 
South Dakota State lost in the national championship to a really good Sam Houston State team. Um, uh, super competitive game. It was back and forth. Sam Houston State won on a touchdown pass with about 16 seconds left. South Dakota State battled, put themselves in a position where I, I still think they could have thrown a hitch and that kid could have fell down and they could have kicked a field goal with the chance to win it. Uh, but the reality was unbelievable football game. And that brought a culmination to what was just a really wild year. But when you think back to it, when you think back to 2011 till today, a team from the Dakotas has either played for or won a national title nine out of the last 10 years. I mean, that's incredible. North Dakota State has went on an incredible run. One year they didn't win it. James Madison won the national title. Every other year it's been North Dakota State. And then South Dakota State plays for it this year. And North Dakota was one of the teams that beat South Dakota State this year. And what I noticed, and so here's my solution to it. It's really hard to do. It's, to me, maybe it's a little bit easier said than done. But it's what you see in a lot of these programs. You have to support your coaches and your staff and your players. You cannot have this answer where when things go south year two, we're going to move on. It takes a long time to create that level of dominance because you have to have consistency. People love to use the word culture. People love to say, oh, they have a great culture. I don't really know what that means. I think people that use the word culture are uneducated in what it takes. Be more specific. It takes a fundamental understanding of what is important to us. And what you saw at a South Dakota State is very similar to what you see at a North Dakota State. It's very similar to what you see at a Clemson. It's very similar to what you, you saw at a Tennessee basketball, women's basketball, especially when Coach Summit was there. And I actually saw it in, in Michigan basketball this year as I did follow them. It's what you see in Ohio State football. They find and stay the course with what fits them. And to everybody, it's different. And that's where it's difficult. So, John, to answer your question, you have to find what fits you. And then if you're not in that element, you have to support those people. If you watch South Dakota State play, if you watch North Dakota State play, they play their element, their way, their brand of football, and they do not deviate. South Dakota State almost won that game when they were about three minutes left in the game. The kid ran an 85-yard touchdown. And he was an incredible player. He was the Gatorade Player of the Year in Missouri. Didn't have very many offers, obviously. South Dakota State's a strong program, but there's no way he, they're, they're beating out Kansas and, and Kentucky and Missouri. Okay, so the kid obviously didn't have the offers that he wanted, and he, he found himself a good program. But very few programs at that point in the game, they were down, they were losing, would, would have run the ball on that point. And that takes a stomach. That takes leadership. And that starts with Coach Stigelmeyer has been there for over 20 years. And there were some lean years there for the Jackrabbits. I, I coached against them. We, we weren't much better at the time, but we were kind of going back and forth. And instead of freaking out, just like what North Dakota State did with Coach Bull, you don't freak out. You don't lose your mind. You support them. You give them the resources that they need. You trust. You put faith in that what they're doing is going to work in time. And obviously the age-old question, John, will be, well, how long is too long? Well, listen, I can't give you that answer. Okay? Just like with players, I'm going to give people to the nth degree as long as they're doing it the right way. But that's a lot easier to say it than to do it in what you see in society, John. So the magical formula for them is they believe in who they are. They find players that fit their program, their style of play, their university, their region, and they do not deviate off that. So many people are afraid, oh, this kid's got all these offers and he's rated highly at 24-7. North Dakota State, South Dakota State, North Dakota, they don't care. Take the guys that fit to be part of the University of North Dakota football program. Fit the kids that are going to be great jackrabbits. Fit the kids that are going to be great bison. And at the end of the day, that's you think it's easy. And it's easy for us to sit here and say, I've seen it firsthand. It's really hard to execute because so many people, adults especially, don't have the patience to stick with these programs to allow them to find their fit, to stay the course. It's always such a, we got to win now, we got to win now, we got to win now. And when you believe in your program, when you give them the resources, when you give them a chance to do what it takes to succeed, it has a funny way of working itself out. Coming up next, going to have an interview with my good friend Stuart Schweiger. Excited to hear what he has to say and talk about his experience in yeah, a long tenure career in the NFL all-time record holder at Purdue for interceptions. He's got a great understanding of the game and sports in general. So really looking forward to seeing what Stu has to say next. Welcome back to State of Play. I'm joined now by the pride of Saginaw, Michigan. Saginaw County Hall of Famer, yes. career interception holder at Purdue. At Purdue. Third round draft pick of the Oakland, then the Oakland Raiders, Stuart Swigert. Stuart, 
Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Appreciate it. I want to jump right in, man. We, we were talking before. I want to go right in. How did you feel about this previous season of football? The FCS championship just finished up on Sunday. There were obviously the Big Ten uh, played in the fall. Your Purdue Boilermakers picked them to have a really good season. They kind of they kind of let me down a little bit. What was your overall <laughs> feeling of college football and just athletics in general during this pandemic, man? What did you, you think I, about it? Uh, Dan, you know, I, I didn't even watch. I really didn't. It was so confusing on when uh, teams were playing, when guys were – certain guys were right. playing, some guys weren't. I mean, it was it was so confusing for me that – I just didn't even pay attention to it. And I, I feel so bad for these athletes because, you know, as a football player, our shelf life is it's limited. Right, and these right. guys, I mean, every year that you're playing, like it's crucial to be able to be out there and making plays and doing this. And now all of a sudden you're, you're, you're playing the season and well, are we kind of playing? Are we kind of not? Right. There's some guys who, you know what, I'm going to wait back. And it, it just seems kind of like a mess. And, I don't know how these young athletes, I, I feel, I, I just feel bad for these guys because it's not the way that college football should be. Right. How do you, let me ask you this. Cause it, to me, and I think you brought up a good point. Some kids opted out. That, I mean, I even talked yeah. about it on like a draft special. There were a couple of kids that got drafted that opted out that, that not every, you know, kid chose to opt out, opt out, got drafted. But the reality is, do you see a little bit of a change coming in college sports, college athletics on the future? To me, the pandemic almost looked to swing things a little differently. Obviously, there's a lot of talk about the NIL stuff coming up. I'm going to touch on that in the next segment. But do you see a change in college athletics coming on the horizon? Well, you know what? I mean, I, I do with the whole transfer portal. I mean, kids, right. it's, it's like free agency now. I mean, a kid can come to a university. And I, I, I like it in two it's good and it's bad because I think it holds coaches accountable. So if a coach says, Hey, you know what, we're going to have you come in, you're going to be our guy. And back in the day when we, me and you played, once you got to university, if you got there, once they had you there, I mean, you're not going anywhere. So right. regardless of whatever they tell you is going to happen, once you get there, you're kind of stuck. Well, now these coaches kind of have to be able to go, right. Well, you know what? I came here. You told me I was going to have an opportunity and now that I don't have an opportunity, I'm going to leave. The flip side of that is I'm not the starter. I'm going to leave, go to a university where I'm better than this guy is and take his position. So back then it was like, you know what, if I wasn't going to be the starter, I'm going to work off. I'm, I'm going to work my butt off in the off season and come back and become the starting position. So from that right. aspect, college football has changed. As far as sports goes, I know this for me. I don't know how these college athletes student athletes, right? I mean, it's, it, it's right. student athletes. And for me, I had to be in the classroom. I had to be in those seats, sitting there watching my professor. If it was up for me, up to me to sign on and like do these, you know, little uh, right. reviews and all that type of stuff. I don't know if I could do it. I mean, I don't know how it was for you, Dan, but I yeah, had to no be way. in that classroom. Right. No way. Well, okay. So now we're, I'm going to put you on the hot seat here a little bit behind you is your, your Jersey from when you played for the Raiders behind you is your Jersey when you played for the lions. So you have a perspective where you were the guy Jersey when you played in Omaha or is that your Purdue Jersey? Okay. Rose Bowl. Purdue Jersey. Rose, Bowl. Rose Bowl. Okay. You have the perspective where you were the guy. You were one of the best players in Purdue history. Okay. Me and you've talked about that. Um, but the I reality is, I appreciate that. Thank you. Put yourself in that perspective now what do you think is better being a great player you have the perspective of you, you what you talked about you stayed the course you battled you you went to the rolls bowl but at the end of the day put yourself as being one of the highly most highly recruited prospects in the state of michigan at the time and you step into purdue now how which one do you think is better which element do you think is right for the players to have a little bit more freedom and, and the coaches to have to adapt or do you think it's better for the players to have to adapt and the coaches to have a little bit more freedom? Because that's the difference. That's what's going on right now. Yeah, no, no, you're right. I, I think, can you really ask a 16 to 17 year old kid to have the freedom to dictate exactly. the, the, yep. what happens at a university when you're talking millions and millions and millions right. of dollars and, and all that comes with it. That I, I think the biggest thing for me, Dan, let me know your opinion on this is, Kids nowadays, they don't really understand the history of the universities. Right. One thing I remember when I was drafted by the Oakland Raiders, uh, Willie Brown, I don't know if you remember Willie Brown, Hall of Fame cornerback. Um, he was kind of the liaison for the, the rookies. 
Okay. And I remember our first meeting as rookies, he stood up on the stage and he said, guys, and he had, um, he, he had a book and he said, here's the history of the Oakland Raiders. He goes, study it. Know the guys that came before you, because when these guys come around, first of all, pay them respect. Second of all, you should know what records that these guys hold in your position, because if you want to judge yourself of being the best, you should be going off of what has been right. before you. And kids yeah. nowadays, it's like, I, I watch these guys at Purdue and like, you know, they might have one pass breakup and a couple of tackles. And it's like, they, I'm like, <laughs> that's, that's not what it is to be like all big 10 and, right. and all that type of stuff. So for me, when I used to go to all my visits and I don't know if you're the same way, but I would go right to the record booklets. And I'd say, okay. you know what, if I'm going to come to this university, who's the best at my position? How many interceptions? How many tackles? Who are the guys here before me? Because if I'm going to that university, I want to be the best. And right. kids nowadays, it's like they're so caught up in their own little, like, these little, like, like bubbles. You know what I mean? Right. And it, unfortunately, I, I wish, and, and I'm, I'm kind of on a whole thing with Purdue, and, and I talked to the new defensive coordinator, and and uh, Ron English is the defensive back coach who used to be the head coach at uh, Eastern right. Michigan. And we're trying to bring back kind of some of that tradition. And it's not about – I have this stuff up in my house because I want my kids to go, hey, Dad, mom, mom has Big Ten championships. How, how did she get that? What right. did she have to do to get that? You know, Bingo. Dad, yeah. you, you have this jersey here. What's that Rose Bowl patch mean? Right. How, how, how was it that you were able to play it in the granddaddy of all the bowl games? Well, son, right. I had to do this, this, and this. And it, it's about kind of markers and just paying right. respect to the guys that came there before you, because how else do you know what you're doing unless you're there to be able to judge it against the best? Right. And to me, that's a great segue. I want to talk about this. That's a great segue. It's really a really good message, unbelievable message. These, these interviews that I do for these podcasts, they always turn out to be great. Me and you talk a good bit, but I, you know, we don't know. I didn't tell you what to say in these. So that's an unbelievable message as usual, Stu. But I have to segue into talking a little bit about your rivalry with Charles Rogers, the late Charles Rogers. Charles Rogers uh, was a highly recruited player at Saginaw High. Mm -hmm. You guys ran the 100 against each other. Before we dive into a little bit about your relationship with Charles, you've got to talk about that 100 meter. Who really won the state? 100 meter or I guess maybe it was the county or state there's a lot of a lot of debate out there Stu who won that 100 so so here's the thing me and Rogers football basketball track right I mean Charles Rogers first of all was and I've had the uh I've been blessed to be able to play against guys like Jerry Rice and Tim Brown not against but on my team Tim Brown yeah. and and Charles Woodson and Warren Sapp and um uh, you know Tyrone Wheatley and these guys, right? You know, and Charles Rogers was the best natural athlete I've ever been against. This right. guy, I mean, he was, he could do anything, you know, uh, decided to run the 400 wins the 400, right? right? So we would race, you know, and I would always come out and he would always just kind of just at the end, <laughs> you know, tweak it out. And then my junior year uh, at Midland, Midland High, uh, where the Chemex play, uh, right. it was, it was, uh, the state championship and I, I beat him. I ran a 10, six, which was a 10, three, two handheld time, 10, six, fastest electronic time There you go. Uh, for a state track meet first white guy since 1956. And here's the thing though. The funny thing is though, Dan is, is for me as a six foot three, 200 pound white option quarterback, slash safety automatic this smart kid good tackler tough right. not that athletic not that fast i had to basically beat usain bolt to prove right. to the country right that i could be a white guy and be fast right. Right. if we if we raced honestly dan if we raced 100 times he beats me 99 times but you know what that one time yep I won and it, it, it really changed my recruiting perspective. It opened right. everything up and it allowed me to have that um, kind of credibility right. that normally guy, guys as, as a white skilled athlete, you just don't get. Let me ask you this, because I, I did want to kind of talk a little bit about recruiting your experience. What you're talking about is competition. 
you know, and to me, when I talk to, when I talk to recruits or families, I'm like, okay, listen, you should compete, but you can't compare. You're talking about battling against the best. I mean, and, and Charles was a highly rated recruit. You were a highly rated recruit. Sometimes nowadays you see people trying to say, oh, they're going to pull the limelight away from me, or they're trying to take some of my thunder. And, and I, I think that's a really good message to kind of, for, for people to hear a little bit about, listen, just go out there and battle and compete. And things have a funny way of working out, but let's kind of, let's kind of wrap this up talking a little bit about recruiting and what's changed since that. Okay. Yeah. I'm pretty, I have a good sense of kind of what you're going to say, your sense of recruiting and what's changed. Obviously me and you are going to talk about football, but every sport has changed a little bit in recruiting. It's going to continue to change. What would be your message to kids going through the process? Cause everyone's not going to be like used to everyone's not going to be recruited by right. Michigan state, right. Michigan and Purdue. Some are going to be recruited by hope and Albion or, Saginaw Valley, Grand Valley, Illinois State, Brock's back down there. What would be your message? Because again, this isn't like when me and you were playing. This isn't 1998 or 99 anymore. Times have changed. Things have adapted. But to be able to carry some of that over, what's your message to a kid, young man, young woman going through the process as they my, get ready to kind of approach this, My message is this. You have to be your biggest promoter, right? You can't count on right. your head coach. You can't count on the newspapers. You can't, because back in our day, right? You get the newspaper, your right. front page of the paper, you get the highlights. That, that's right. how you got recruited, right? You know, right, right. Now you got to, you got to sign up for these sites. Yep. You have to have the highlight film. You have to have that person who is sending the film out, the person who knows offensive coordinators mm -hmm. here, defensive coordinators here, the, right. uh, the, the person that has connections to get that. You know what? Hey, because I, I always say this, when I was at Saginaw Valley State coaching with you, I remember, hey, guys, we got 10 minutes. Come on in here. Put on this film. And we're sitting there, next, yep. next, next. And you have to know the guy that's going to go, hold on one second. Yep. Let's yep. watch this film. Okay. Right. You know what? I like this guy. And for me, recruiting, I don't go off numbers. I mean, obviously – size this and that but i want to know if a guy can right. play football you know i that's that's right. what i right. like can the kid play i don't care what right i mean kids running a linebacker running a 5040 i mean it's going to be tough to be division one but can the right. guy can the guy go out there can he make tackles can he make plays i know some universities when i was roy manning who's now at oklahoma uh coaching dbs when he was at washington state he goes to as a linebacker, if you weren't 6'1", 215, running a 4'5", I couldn't even watch your film. I, I think right, that's completely right. ludicrous. I want to go – I want to know if a guy's a football player. Right. Well, I'll tell you what. What you just said right there, there is a little bit about staying the course. Just kind of focus on yourself and what you put on the film does matter. You know what? You're right. I mean, kids go to these combines, and they want to put out – 40s and all those things and there's certain levels that that oh, doesn't hold on, hold a little on. bit about coach manning and all those things but be a good player good when you talk about those combines here's my biggest advice if you are not ready to run the 40 the 510 5 shuttle the vertical jump the broad jump whatever it is that they're doing do not do it don't just go there and think right. oh everyone else is running and because and, once you right. get a bad time it'll never leave you you're you're, no, you're much right. better off having a question mark than having a bad time, but hire, hire the speed specialists, hire the guys who have done the combine stuff. There's a lot of former college football players that have been out there that those drills, it's, it's, it's all about the little technique things, man. I mean, you right. can do a lot of things to help your times just off of nothing to do with talent, just off of technique, man. So do not go to those things and just like, oh, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to try this out because you can't right. shake that. You cannot shake no, those. You're absolutely times. right. Give us a prediction on Purdue this upcoming fall. Come on. Let us know what Coach Brom and the guys are going to do. Again, I kind of had them. I had them as my sleeper this year. I thought they were going to come through. I thought they were going to win the West. Give us a good prediction about what the Boilermakers got going on this fall. Dude, the, the, the Big Ten West is tough, man. I'm just. It is tough. It is tough, man. And you know what? <laughs> to be honest with you. I took I took a I took a 16 month hiatus from Purdue because of what they're I don't want to get into the whole thing, but I, I had to back away because I was getting just too freaking fired up about it, you know. And I'm like, I, I was I was more concerned about the win-loss records than the players were, you know. I'm like, <laughs> I gotta back off. But now that uh Ron English and the new defensive coordinator, they actually are inviting me back to talk to the defense. There you go. Things. So I 
six and five. Oh, that, uh, see, coming right with the numbers, Stu. I knew you'd throw something out there. I mean, don't sit there and be coy. Just give me a number. That's what I'm Our talking about. Our last game, though, against Indiana, it's it's the, the old Oak bucket. And Indiana is <laughs> pretty darn good nowadays. What man. was your record in the bucket game? How what was your record? Three and one. Three, Three and one. one. Okay. When did yeah. they get you? When was that one loss? So my sophomore year, we went down to IU and okay. we played Randall L in a monsoon. Yeah. Literally monsoon. <laughs> and the first two plays, like I slid and Randall L scored, and it was we lost. 12 to 10. All right. Now he was a, he was an, he was an old, just an okay player. He was just all right. So, well, I'll tell you what, Stu, I appreciate man having you come on. It's always fun talking to you. Um, and, and, and the greatest thing about wrapping up this interview is you made it through without cursing. That's a, just a fantastic job. I'm really proud of you for doing that. Me? No, no, don't look at me. So any, well, both of us made it through without cursing. So I appreciate it. Stu, thanks again for everything. We look forward to hearing from you. And again, we look forward to following those boiler makers in the upcoming fall season, buddy. Thanks for everything. Thanks, that, man. Welcome back. Stay to play on Stu. I mean, that was so much fun. I've always enjoyed being around him. As usual, great message. You really listen to it. Now, Stu's got a different opinion than I do. Stu's talking about, you know, go out and hire people, go out and, you know, get speed training, go out and get all these, you know, recruiting services. That's fine. I mean, I, I'd love for have you call you know, getaaron.com and talk to me about what I do with athletic recruiting, education, navigation. But to hear that opinion, to hear that value about how you have to promote yourself in the game of recruiting, I don't know, it's pretty valuable. You know, times have changed. And there's somebody that's talking about adapting and kind of going with what, what's important right now. So I think that was a really valuable message, as, as all of these interviews really are. I never... You know, tell these people what to say. I give them some thoughts and ideas of what I'm going to talk about on this episode. But I let these people run. And all the interviews back from season one, Stu's interview, it just never fails. Their message is right. I never have to think about, oh, geez, that, that, that's something that isn't, um, you know, particular to today. It's always right on. It's always, always a great message. So thanks, Stu, for coming on. I want to finish up this last segment here this with this first episode in season two, talking about the new NIL adjustments that are coming to college football. So for some that may not, college athletics, excuse me, for some that may not be familiar, what NIL stands for is name, image, and likeness. There has been a big push for a while, and it really goes back to the Ed O'Banion Ed O'Bannon um, trial where he sued, you know, the NCAA over a lot of the video games that were going on, NCAA basketball, NCAA football, which were some of the best games ever. Um, those are going to be coming back now because of some of the regulations that are going to come into place. But what is happening is there is now this push, and it's going to come to fruition. There is going to be name, image, and likeness legislation put in through states, and the NCAA is asking for it to become some kind of a federal mandate. They want to have the federal government oversee this and make sure that there is uniformity okay i personally think that is 100 right on i'll make a statement right off the bat number one i am fine with the name image and likeness moving forward times have changed okay times are adjusting i don't have any problem with a kid being able to take the fact that he's a great player at michigan and use that to better himself if if in fact he can okay i do think also from the standpoint of the ncaa they are 100 correct it cannot be state by state it has to be a federal mandate. There has to be something where there's overriding direction. There is overriding um, oversight about what is going on with this NIL. And here's why. Because I'm really concerned about where college athletics are going. I asked Stu on this. He, you know, he didn't really have a great opinion on the future of college athletics. He talked a little bit about the transfer portal. I'm worried about college athletics becoming haves and have-nots. And that's in every sport. It's not just football. Football is extremely close to being on the edge of being haves and have-nots. Okay, but here's the thing about the NIL that I am really cautious to keep an eye on. For all the people out there clamoring that we need to have, we need to take care of these kids. Stu actually talked about this if you listened, okay, if you were listening to his interview. As a 17 or 18 year old, am I really in position to be making all these decisions? And why can the message not be to this 18 year old who's the, you know, the star recruit at Northwestern that probably could you know, that probably could capitalize on his, his, his name, image, and likeness right now. Why can the message not be, that can be you for the next 50 years, just like Coach Fitzgerald, just like his coaches, just like these athletic directors, just like the president, just like the faculty. It doesn't have to all come to you right now, you know. It doesn't always just have to be handed to you in your lap. You can be like them for 50 years. Coach Fitzgerald's making a lot of money, and he had a good career. He didn't make any, any money off of his name, image, and likeness during his playing days, but he's sure taken advantage of it now. Why can that message not go anywhere? I'm so discouraged by that. 
okay? That we don't even address that portion. Everything is give the kids everything now. They're making all the money. Well, you know, there's a lot of graduates that are doing better things that, you know what, they didn't get what they got um, now when they were student athletes and it's paid off for them from the things that they learned. It's always, well, you know, we, these, these kids are making all this money for the university. Great, find me an enterprise where somebody doesn't make money for their boss. I'll wait. I'm looking at my watch because there hasn't been any responses. This is a podcast that nobody chimes into, so I'm not a complete knucklehead. The answer is nobody. If I work a, here in Waukesha and I work for Eaton, massive company right here in Waukesha, do I not make money for the CEO? Do I not make money for the president? Do I not make money for the shareholders? I have two options. I can cry and I can quit, or I can try to improve myself and maybe become a shareholder someday, maybe become the CEO. Why do we not share that message? Why is it always these kids need to get everything right now? Because we as adults have failed. That's ultimately the reason for why we're doing that. And so when I think about this NIL, I'm fine, but I love what the NCAA is doing and no one wants to credit them. I'm gonna credit them. I hope, I hope someone from the NCAA listens, you're doing it right because you're trying to protect everybody and that's what no one wants to talk about. Yes, Zion Williamson at Duke, he doesn't need protection. He's gonna be fine, okay? The, the ball family, they don't need protection. They're gonna be fine. But what about the women's basketball player at Saginaw Valley that is going to sign in with a contract for the local convenience store? And oh, by the way, she doesn't post enough throughout the month due to that contract, mind you. Let's not forget, people. These are going to become legally binding contracts. These, these young student athletes are going to enter into. And when that young women's basketball player doesn't post enough on social media, because that's what it's going to be. It's going to be social media entertainment. She doesn't post enough on social media because she's, you know, socially hanging out with her friends or, you know, busy with basketball practice or school. She doesn't post enough on Twitter and that local convenience store sues her for breach of contract. Where are you going to be? Where are you going to be in that courtroom to defend her? Where are you going to be to help her family out and say, you know, we get it. You're a kid. You make mistakes. Because right now all everyone's saying is give, give, give kids this, give kids that, give, give, give. Where are you going to be when it goes bad? Where are you going to be when that young man who is a star football player, the biggest sport in the country right now, college football, I can even make a case it might be bigger in pro football, star football player gets handed a $50,000 endorsement deal from somebody, I don't know, I don't even want to talk about who, some major company that now within the legislation they can do that. And he doesn't pay his federal income tax. You're going to be there to defend him? He's a kid, he's 18 years old, he gets handed $50,000 while he's in school. You think he's not going to want to go buy a Mercedes and drive it around campus? I would. I'm raising my hand for anybody that's watching this on YouTube. I would be the first thing I'd want to do when I was 18 years old. I'm not 18 anymore. I'm 38. I have that maturity to make those decisions. Are you going to be there, mister? We need to get NIL going and give these kids everything. Are you going to be in federal court to help that young man and his family pay back $25,000? Are you going to be there? Is that where you're going to be? You're going to be ready to hand over your money? I get so discouraged by the message. There's no counterpoint to it. And the NCA tries and you slam them for it because everyone thinks the NCA is so bad. If you don't like the NCA, do you also not like the NFL Players Union? The NFL uh, Players Union and the NFLPA, they have regulations that their players have to abide by. If, you don't, if, if you're anti-NCA guy and you don't like the fact that they're trying to keep this NIL stuff intact for every student athlete, not just the big time kids that are playing at Michigan and Ohio State, if you're anti-NCA guy, are you also anti-FCC guy and SEC guy making sure that these multimillionaires on Wall Street don't finagle people out of money left and right? Is that what you are? Are you that guy too? You don't think regulation is good? You want to deregulate? You want to defund the NCA because you think they're so bad? Are you also anti-SEC guy? You want to make sure that these, these super multi-millionaires and Wall Street keep ripping people off for more money? That's what you are? I, we, we've just created such a dynamic in this country that I hope anybody that listens to this really understands what's going to happen with this NIL. You saw it with the Ed O'Bannon case. And no, one wants to re, no one wants to rehash that. It's funny to me. The greatest college athletics game in, in the history of video games. I don't care what anybody says. Call of Duty and Fortnite, all that stuff is cool. NCAA football was a wave that we enjoyed as much as playing sometimes. And Ed O'Bannon said, no, the kid, the, the players should be getting more. So you know what they did? They took it away for 10 years. So that's what's going to happen. You are staring down the face of college athletics drastically changing. Between that, between what we've created with the transfer portal, you are getting really close to minor league sports. And just be careful what you ask for. Because I'm just telling you, the other side of this is not going to be as fun and not going to be as enjoyable. Because here's another thing. Think about this. 
Okay, I hope this doesn't happen. I hope I'm completely dead wrong on this. Somebody call me out on this in two years. Wait till kids start opting out of playing games. Wait till your favorite team has a huge rivalry game. Wait until Auburn and Alabama are playing in the Iron Bowl. And said athlete doesn't feel like playing, doesn't want to risk their chances for their NIL contract to be jeopardized. Let that sink in. Are you willing to, are you ready to see that as an, as an, as an alum, as a donor, as just a, as just a general fan? Yeah, that's a lot of pressure on these kids. I understand that. But ask yourself those questions if that's really what you want to see. Actually, in this segment, segueing to a very similar for our Q&S series, Chantel from Madison wrote in, football recruiting seems to be a little out of hand these days. Is there anything that can be done to change it? Another great question, Chantel, from right here in Madison in Wisconsin. Beautiful place. I think it was just rated as one of the best college towns in the uh, in the country by one of like, there's probably like 50 different rating services, so they got one of those. Um, so congratulations on that, uh, by the way. But yes, football recruiting and at college athletics have gotten a little bit out of hand. Number one solution to that, Chantel, there's two solutions I have. So regarding football recruiting, I know it feels like there's a lot going on. It's hard to break in. The reality is if your son or daughter is not a Division I caliber athlete, they're not going to get a Division I scholarship. Okay, Don't overthink this. However, the biggest thing that we can do to tone down all of the chaotic uh, elements that are recruiting, allow those young student athletes to sign a letter of intent on the spot at any moment once they become a freshman. I heard Bo Pelini talk about this. I think it's 100% right on. If you took away the signing date, which is the, the most arbitrary, ridiculous thing out there, get rid of the signing date and allow those young student athletes to sign at any point once they become a freshman. And you may be saying to yourself, oh, wow, that seems great. Or you may be saying to yourself, well, that's terrible. Here's why it's good. Okay, and I heard Bo Pelini talk about this and you know, Bo Pelini screams and yells so nobody wants to listen to him. But the reality is he's right. It would get everybody to slow down. Everybody, college coaches, which is actually what he was talking about, and student athletes alike would go, whoa, hold on. Okay, there are some, some elements that you'd have to hash out. If a coach gets fired or moves on or retires, what happens to that, uh, what happens to that letter of intent in that contract? Okay, that's something that I think would have to get figured out. But let this sink in. If I'm a young student athlete and I'm a, I'm a sophomore, I just had a great sophomore season. I still have two more years to play high school football. And I'm going to throw a couple schools out there. Let's say I'm playing here in the Midwest and I get an offer from Central Michigan as a sophomore. They send me the paperwork and I sign it. I'm fired up, man. I'm going to Central Michigan. Well, let me ask you this question. I'm going to ask it from two sides. If I'm the coach at Central Michigan, that's my quarterback now, or whoever. Let's say it was a quarterback. That's my quarterback. That's who I'm hanging my hat on in, in three years when he shows up on campus. He could get better. He could get worse. He could get hurt. He could fall out of love of the game, but that's who you're getting because you still only get a certain amount of scholarships. I'm not advocating for raising the scholarship level in this conversation. Okay, but think about that. I'm a college coach, and that kid sends that letter of intent in. Whoa, we sure that's the dude? We're, we're, we're sure this is who we want because there's a lot of really good players out there. So it's going to make them slow down. But think about the student and the family. And this is why your circle is crucial, Chantel, when you talk about this stuff. If I sign that and I got an offer as a sophomore at Central Michigan, who's to say I wasn't good enough to get an offer at Ohio State in a year or Michigan in a year? It's pretty early to make that decision. Okay, But then you also play the game of how long am I going to wait. It gets everybody to slow down and start to figure everybody out. I'm going to go really get a feel for Central Michigan. Is this maybe where I want to be? I'm not going to sit here. I've got a contract in hand. I'm not going to sit here and worry about the cool graphics I'm getting sent or taking a video in my jersey on a visit. I'm going to say, whoa, okay, all right. talk to me about how you're going to make me a better player in two years. Talk to me about the resources you have in place to make sure that I can get from practice to classes and not miss any time. I'm not worried about all that other flash and dash anymore. I'm worried now more about substantial stuff because I've had a contract handed to me. It's going to get everybody to slow down. It's not perfect. I'm not saying it's the best It's the best answer I've ever heard. I'm not saying it's perfect. There's always hiccups. There's always things we'd have to work through. But if I'm the NCAA, I'm getting rid of the signing date in every sport, mind you. And every this isn't just football talk. This is every sport. Get rid of that signing date. It's ridiculous. Allow those kids to sign a scholarship whenever that, that paperwork is sent. Oh, yeah, right off the bat. That first year, it's good. everyone's going to be whining and complaining. Oh, it's gone so bad. But then that next class will start slowing. Whoa, we just learned something. It's going to get everybody, college coaches and the prospects, alike to slow down, take a breath. Are we sure we want that kid to be our running back? Are we sure there's not better out there that we can get? 
Are we sure that he's going to be the kind of kid we want to, to be in this program? And then from the standpoint of the student, are we sure this is, I, I, I may not get better? I mean, if I'm getting offered this early, maybe I'm going to get an offer from a bigger school. That, that's more in what I'm looking for. That is my dream school. So I think that's the first thing that we can do. So Chantel, I hope that answered your question. I think it was a really good question. Something I've thought about for a long time. Friends of mine, colleagues back when I was coaching, we used to talk about this all the time. The big complaint is that, you know, uh, the compliance directors would get overwhelmed. Give me a break. Cry me a river. Find a way to PDF that puppy out through an email, get that thing signed. He's locked in and ready to roll in the next couple of years. But here's the second thing that we really need to do that'll help um, slow down uh, college recruiting. It's across every sport, but it needs to be done in football. You need to take football out of the hands of the athletic director. Okay, I think football should have its own separate athletic director at each school. It's too big. It's too big of an animal. And that is taking away from the proper decision making. And it's taking away from the, the mindset to focus on what's really important for the other sports. And that includes men's and women's basketball, which are the two next biggest right next to football. Okay, so these universities need to invest in somebody that oversees football only. So they're not sitting there worried about what the impact of football will have on the swimming and diving program whether it be financially, whether it be just how it's perceived in the university. Because when I'm an athletic director, I have this pull. I can't be doing everything for the football program and making it look like I don't care about the track and field program. But if I don't do everything for the football program, the track and field program can't survive. You need to disassociate that. Football has become a different entity and a different animal, and we need to disassociate that. Within each school, I would make a huge push for that. Somebody that, you know, listen, maybe those two need to be on the same level. The athletic director for all sports, the athletic director for football need to be on the same level, but one can't answer to the other. They both answer to the president or, you know, the provost, whoever it may be. But I think we need to, I think we need to start talking about evolving college football to where it's, it's, a, it's, it's a different entity. And it is going to fuel and funnel some things towards those other sports. But the mindset that these athletic directors, it's got to be exhausting. It's got to be almost impossible. So Chantel, I hope that answers your question. A couple of different options there. So everybody that got a chance to listen, joined in, watched on YouTube, uh, listened on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Thanks for checking in with us. Season two is just getting off and running. I'm excited. I, mean, I think there's some great topics to talk about. Got a couple more episodes coming up here throughout the spring and early summer. Looking forward to seeing what we can talk about. Hopefully make a difference out there. Enjoy the rest of your day.